You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is History Day. We get to continue our history series with the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. McKenzie, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Well, I'm glad to be back. Thank you for having me. All right. Last time we left off in Prussia and Saxony, what was in, and what was happening there in around the eighteen early to mid eighteen hundreds, and we started talking about unionism and rationalism, and I even threw in pietism because <laughs> I like to throw a, you know a wrench in just to make it fun. <laughs> so, what were the reactions to those, and what was going on in let's see with the confessional? Lutherans, I guess, in Saxony, right? Is that where we're picking up? Yeah, we're, I, I think we should. So we started with the idea that there are lots of little German territories, some more important than others, some more Lutheran than others. And we noted the importance, particularly of Prussia, and the fact that the king of Prussia had introduced and then promoted and enforced a union between Lutherans and Reformed, which with the new agenda book, resulted in a compromise of the Lutheran doctrine of the sacrament. And so this alarmed some of the Lutherans so much that they actually left Prussia and came to the United States in the late 1830s. Now, when we go to Saxony, uh, we don't have a king who is uh, promoting uh, the, a union, but we do have a church which over the, well, really centuries, since the Reformation, had embraced lots of different non-Lutheran, indeed even non-Christian ideologies, most especially, as we mentioned last time, rationalism, which rejected to one degree or another classic expressions of Christian truth like the deity of our Lord and the Trinity and the vicarious atonement. Now, there was in among the German territories generally and also in Saxony, a kind of reaction to the rationalism that had been so dominant in the 18th century. But there were lots of folks who said that what rationalism led to was the French Revolution, and what the French Revolution led to was Napoleon. So there's this reaction against rationalism, which leads many to emphasize the other side of the coin, that is emotionalism. And emotionalism is at the heart of what we might call pietism, or at least the neo-pietism of the 19th century. And so this emphasized kind of the uh, emotional aspects of the Christian faith, that what was necessary for true Christianity was to have a, an emotional appreciation of the law. You should feel how terrible you are as a sinner. And the gospel, you should feel exhilarated at the truth of your salvation. So that's going on as well as these other things that we've already talked about. Now, in Saxony, there were a handful of pastors and a couple of professors at the University of Leipzig who were alarmed by the state of the church in Saxony that, as I mentioned before, was riddled with uh, rationalist, rationalist leaders, rationalist pastors and the like. Uh, and these folks we're promoting what we might call that good old-fashioned Lutheran religion. And one of those who had developed a reputation for being a kind of confessional Lutheran 
preacher and pastor was a fellow by the name of Martin Stefan. And Martin Stefan was a pastor in Dresden, which was a major city, kind of like the capital city of um, uh, the kingdom of Saxony. Anyway, Martin Stefan is a vocal proponent of confessional Lutheranism and a rejecter of uh, rationalism and other compromises with the Lutheran faith. Now, Stefan is an interesting person. Uh, He does not have the kind of typical background of a Lutheran preacher in Saxony or anywhere else in these days. Uh, By the time you get to the 19th century, pastors have their own kind of, what shall we say, clique or even caste in that pastors' daughters marry pastors and pastors' sons marry the daughters of other pastors. And you get one generation after another of Lutheran pastors. Nothing wrong with that, but that's what it kind of developed. Oh, I mean, some of them might be lawyers and some of them might not be anything, but there's just a lot of kind of inbreeding and generation to generation and so forth. Well, Martin Stefan wasn't like that. Martin Stefan came from Moravia, which is today a part of uh, the Czech Republic. His parents had been converts from Catholicism. He, he was raised not, he wasn't educated and prepared for the ministry. He was a craftsman. He was a, a weaver. But now weaving in the 19th century was not a um, occupation with a lot of future because we're now in the Industrial Revolution. And one of the first industries to be revolutionized, that is where people were replaced by power-driven machines, was the weaving enterprise. So Martin is kind of at loose ends a little bit. And he ends up in a city called Breslau, which is now part of Poland, Poland, but in these days it was part of Prussia. And he joins a group of confessional Lutherans. And one of the leaders there convinced Martin Stefan, a young man, in his, I think I want to say he's in his 20s at this point, that he really ought to become a pastor. And he does. He goes back to school, university, does all the right training, uh, and he ends up uh, graduating and finally finds a congregation in Dresden, a congregation that actually had been founded originally by uh, people who had had to leave Catholic Bohemia and come to Dresden as kind of exiles from their homeland to start their own church. So anyway, that's where Martin Stefan ends up. And he develops this reputation for preaching that old-fashioned religion. Now, one of the characteristics of this um, movement in reaction against the decadent established church was that people started to go to churches other than their own parish church. Now, we don't, you know, because we live in such a mobile society, we hardly even think of parishes. But at this period, parishes were definite uh, geographic entities. And there would be one church for one parish. And if you lived in that parish, that's where you're supposed to go to church. But now, in reaction to the bad preaching, the rationalism, the unionism, or whatever it was, people start to go to other places. And many of them in the Dresden area forsook their own congregation and started to go to Pastor uh, Stefan's congregation. Uh, He also developed a reputation for being 
a good a good counselor. Uh, people who had spiritual problems found that when they went to Pastor Stefan, he was considerate, he was encouraging, help help them out. So Pastor Stefan in Dresden is developing and kind of following there in Dresden. Of people who want more and a more authentic form of Christianity, a more authentic form of uh, Lutheranism. Um, Stefan also uh, did some publishing of his sermons, and there were church newspapers that uh, promoted him as well. So, Pastor Stefan is one of the more prominent leaders of a confessional revival in the state church of Saxony. But now, here I want to mention some of those whom Pastor Stefan influenced. And among those, of course, uh, the most important of them from the perspective of the Missouri Synod uh, is Carl Ferdinand Wilhelm Walther, C.F.W. Walther. So let me tell you a little bit about his background and how he links up with Stefan. Walther came, Walther was a pastor in the State Church of Saxony who had an entirely different background from Stefan's. He came from a long line of pastors, and his father, in particular, was a pastor in the state church. And when Walther was just a little boy, his father and his mother decided that he should prepare for the ministry too, and that meant uh, being sent off uh, to school uh, when he was really just just a, a, a little boy, uh, and from our perspective, only about seven years old. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm looking at my notes here. It's eight years old. So I take it back. He was eight. Okay. He went to a school. I think the headmaster of the school was a relative of his. So it wasn't like nobody there would care about him. But nonetheless, that's what they did. If you're going to be a professional, you got you started getting a professional education. And that meant going away to school. And then after what we call grade school, he went to a gymnasium, which was like a high school with a couple of years of college thrown in. And then finally, he went off to the University of Leipzig. Walther, when he later on reflected about his education, said this, I was 18 years old when I left the gymnasium. That's this high school, college kind of thing. And I never heard a sentence of the word of God coming from a believing heart. I had never had a Bible, neither a catechism, but only a miserable moralistic guide which contained heathen morality. Now, that was rationalism. They wanted you to live a decent life, so they had all kinds of rules about how to behave, but no real Christianity. And that was in the state church system for a boy who was the son of a Lutheran pastor. So that's Walther's description of himself as he entered the University of Leipzig. Now, at the University of Leipzig, there were people who had reacted against this terrible rationalism, and they were of the pietist brand of Lutheran. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the pietists are kind of the emotional types, and that means you become a Christian through an emotional apprehension of the law and the gospel. Now, Walter goes to the university. Uh, his brother, a couple of years older than he, was already there, and his brother had begun to associate with this pietist circle. And Walter, young Walter, decided to go along with him, mostly for 
social reasons. You know, this would be a group of guys that he could hang around with and so forth. But they did Bible reading and they did prayer. And Walter found himself agreeing with what they said, in fact, believing what they said. So in effect, for the first time in his life, through the pietist prayer circle, he was coming into contact with what we call authentic law and gospel kind of preaching and teaching. So this was good for him. It was good until a theology student, in fact, a a graduate of the university in theology, a man who was waiting for a call but hadn't received him, became active in this circle. And he began to emphasize with these younger guys his he was he was concerned about the authenticity of their Christianity, suggesting that, well, you know, they really had not felt how bad their sin was. They were too glib about being a sinner. They were too glib about being a Christian. You really had to feel this before you could say you were a real Christian. Well, he's older, they're younger, they're impressionable. And so Walter and and a buddy of his really fell into kind of a deep um, questioning about whether they were really Christians or not. And then Walter fell sick and he had to withdraw from the university and go home. Uh, so he was in kind of a mess both physically and spiritually. Uh, but his friend, uh, who had similar experiences, suggested that maybe maybe they should write to a pastor that they'd heard about down in Dresden, somebody who was known to be a good counselor, somebody who was known to be a, a good preacher and teacher. Maybe they should write to him. And so that's what CFW Walter did. He penned a letter to Martin Stefan. That was the pastor down in Dresden who had this good reputation. And apparently poured out his heart to Stefan about what was bothering him and his concern about whether he was a Christian or not. And and I always found this kind of nice. Pastor Stefan didn't know this guy from Adam, and but instead of just throwing the letter into the newspaper, newspaper basket, he decided he'd answer it. So he answered it. And when Walter got this, he had this to say as he remembered that experience. He said, when I read Stefan's reply, I felt as though I had been translated from hell to heaven. Tears of distress and sorrow were converted into tears of heavenly joy. Stefan directed me to the Good Samaritan and showed me what faith in Christ means. Peace and joy entered my heart, and he applied the gospel to my own soul. So Walter always felt that was kind of a conversion experience for him. And even though he realized that what the pietists had done was to emphasize emotions over the gospel, nonetheless, he also realized that a true appreciation for the gospel will produce emotions, even as he had experienced them in the wake of that letter. But Pastor Stefan was the man whom God used to bring the consolation of the gospel to this young CFW Walter. We need to take a quick break. And it's so interesting learning the relationship between Martin Stefan and CFW Walter. I had never known that history before. So that makes the rest of the story very interesting. We will be right back. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates.
At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We are deep diving into our Lutheran history with the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And before the break, you were talking about the relationship between Martin Stefan and CFW Walther. What else did that relationship produce? Where What, what effect ha- did that have on both of these pastors? Well, let me, and this is kind of interesting. They don't know each other personally, okay? Walter at this point is simply a student, but there are others in his group who have similar experiences and they're at the University of Leipzig. And so when these men begin to enter the ministry, they they want to become pastors who can likewise preach and teach the gospel and apply it to individual souls the way Pastor Stefan did to them. And there's a way in which he becomes kind of their model of what a truly confessional Lutheran pastor ought to be like. Now, Walter never breaks from his father, but his father is not his model. Uh, Stefan is more the model that he's going to follow. Now, he has, a, he has an older brother-in-law who was also uh, one of these kind of pietist leaders. So there are others besides Stefan, uh, but Stefan uh, really kind of functions almost like almost like a father figure, not just to Walther, but there's, uh, you know, there may, be, there may be as many as a dozen other young men going into the ministry of the State Lutheran Church in Saxony who are kind of looking up to Pastor Stefan as the, as the kind of ideal pastor that they want to be. Now, Walter does graduate. He does become a pastor, but he has some kind of tough experiences with a a rationalist uh, superintendent. If you think, if you can think how the Missouri Senate is organized these days, where we have uh, circuits and then we have circuit visitors. Well, they had something similar like that in uh, Walter's day. And the the superintendent, the local superintendent, would, well, he actually did ask to see some of Walther's sermons, and he criticized Walther's sermons. And what was that? Well, Walther had preached that as a result of Adam and Eve's fall into sin, death had entered human experience and reality. Death was the problem or the consequence of sin. And the superintendent said, oh, no, no, we don't believe that anymore. And Walther said, well, it's in the confessions. 
And the man said, well, well, that's only talking about spiritual death. That's not talking about physical death. To which Walter responded, well, it does say, dust thou art and dust thou shalt return to. So you know, the Bible was talking about physical death, not just spiritual death. But that was a kind of thing that you ran into if you were a confessional, biblical, scriptural, Lutheran pastor from people in uh, positions of authority like this local superintendent. And then Walter, in, the, in a little town where he's pastor, was concerned about, well, what kind of religion books are they using in school? And you remember that Walter's own experience with religious books had been nothing particularly Christian, just kind of rules, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So he inquired as to what was going on in this parish school, this village school, and it turned out they were using the same kind of book. So Walter started to make efforts to get a new book into the schoolroom, which would be one that was authentically Christian, biblical, Lutheran. Uh, but the schoolmaster didn't want it. The schoolmaster is, and I can kind of appreciate this. What does this young punk know about teaching? I've been using this book for 30 years. But at any rate, he resisted. And Walter tried to get the authorities to act on his behalf, and they wouldn't. The little village council, they rejected it as well. So finally, Walter went to the patron of the parish. This gets a little confusing, but in this particular society, churches were often under the patronage of a local nobleman. And in the case of Walter and this patron, the nobleman was sympathetic to the confessional revival, sympathetic to biblical Christianity. And so he agreed he would pay for the new books when they were introduced into the classroom. And so Walter won that battle. He got the new books. But Walter experiences this, and rightly so, as kind of opposition for the state church authorities on account of their rationalism. And Walter's experience was echoed in other ways by other young men from this group. Accordingly, when they got word that the authorities were going after Pastor Stefan in Dresden, they saw this just as another attack by rationalist authorities against preaching and teaching the pure gospel. And in Stefan's case, it was so serious that he was suspended from preaching at all in Dresden. And that became the trigger for these young men and their congregations, as many as they could get, to leave Saxony and go to America, just the way Grabo had taken Prussians to America, and right just about the same time, 1838, 1839. But it's this opposition from what they consider rationalist authorities trying to stamp out the true preaching of the gospel that leads to this move. Now, it turned out that they were not, they were not quite accurate about Pastor Stefan. I don't know, do, do we have time here for me to get into Pastor Stefan's situation? I think that's probably another episode. We have about two minutes left okay. in this episode. Um, you know, interesting fact. I, I, one, we're learning facts today, that <laughs> uh, I never realized what the specific reasons were that mm. that Martin Stefan and CFW Walter came to 
the United States. I just always assumed it was for the same reasons that the the Prussian Lutherans were mm. leaving as well. I just assumed it was because of the the Union, the forced the union, union. But yeah. I didn't realize it was for rationalism that they were leaving. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and a way to think about this is, I mean, they're they're leaving because of what they're calling persecution. Mm-hmm. That the authorities are getting in the way of their doing their ministry. But Pastor Stefan's case is different, as we'll see when we talk about it. <laughs> but there there are others like Walter's brother-in-law. He had gotten into trouble with church authorities for like too many people from other parishes coming there to hear him. Another fellow in this in this group was serving under his father and his father was a rationalist. So he wasn't going to communion. I mean, it was just, there were different, different cases all over Saxony where men were having different experiences, but in each case, they felt that the uh, authorities were getting in the way of their preaching and teaching the gospel. Now, later on, Walter will rethink this and realize, well, you know, he, it might have been tough, but he still was able to preach and teach. But at the time when Pastor Stefan gets into trouble, it's like the jig is up. We're going to have to leave. There's no hope for the church in Saxony. So that that's actually what happens. We'll take a look at that next time. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> Leaving us on the edge of our seat. Uh, thank you, Dr. McKenzie. Looking forward to our next episode where we learn a little bit more about Martin Stefan and maybe we'll we'll get to the crossing the ocean part <laughs> maybe. Um, eventually. <laughs> There's so much history. Huh, so much still in in Germany to learn as yeah. well. Thank you so much for being our guest for this episode. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Dr. McKenzie. You're welcome, Andy. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.